parents. Be sure and talk with your kids about that when they finish this morning. As uh, Kent said, my name is Tad Skinner. I'm on staff here, and uh, Pastor Chuck is starting his eight-week sabbatical, and so we'll have different people filling the, the pulpit the next few weeks, and I'm privileged to be able to do that this morning. So happy Father's Day to the fathers here this morning, and uh, it's really kind of an odd thing the way we tend to celebrate each other, isn't it? With uh, You may not do this, but I did when I was a kid, buying long pieces of fabric that you tie in a complicated knot around somebody's neck, uh, or uh, tools, buying tools that your father will never use or rarely use, or uh, my favorite is the, the, the uh, nice card with thoughtful, meaningful words written by a greeting card employee who doesn't even know you, right? So it's, it's an odd thing the way we tend to celebrate each other. So my kids um, give me more than I deserve. This morning, I got uh, well-thought, kind words written by them, and I got lots and lots of candy, which is just exactly what I want. So uh, it was a good haul. It's what I call a good haul of stuff. So if you're a father in this room, though, have you considered what you want? Have you considered what you want to leave for your kids? Perhaps you've thought of that. Perhaps you've even set some goals about how you could give your children more than, than what you received. You could pass on some important knowledge or information, give them wisdom, help them prioritize their lives rightly. To not have your children struggle financially, perhaps the way that you have, or to not have them struggle relationally in the ways that, that perhaps you have. We want our kids to have more and better, more and better of whatever we didn't have. And that's not a bad thing, right? That, that's a good thing. We want our kids to have good things. Jesus spoke of this desire right after the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember that? When Jesus spoke of this in Luke chapter 11, he said, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So it's good for us to want to give good gifts to our children. That's a good thing. God, our Father, wants to do that for, for us, his children. So today, we're going to continue on in our summer series in uh, the book of Psalms. We're looking at Songs of Summer. So if you turn to Psalm 128, which if you don't have a Bible, you'll find one under the seat in front of you. It's on page 355 of those Bibles. We'd love for everybody to have a Bible in their hands this morning or, or your phone if you, if you have an app on your phone. But uh, grab a Bible in front of you. Turn to Psalm 128, if you would. And we're going to see three things in this psalm. First, we'll see what we want. We'll see what we want. Second, we're going to come to realize that we can't have what we want. And then third, we're going to see what we should want instead, or in addition to. So before we begin, uh, let me acknowledge two things. This, this psalm is meant for everyone, but I'm going to try to specifically apply it to fathers because this is Father's Day. So let me first acknowledge at the very beginning that I am an imperfect father. Uh, I hope that you'll, you'll see and hear that, that I love my kids, I care about them, I'm, I'm hashtag blessed that they are following Christ and, and uh, 
team God right now, so uh, very blessed by that, but that's only by the grace of God that they're, that they're doing that. And because of uh, also my, my uh, wife, who does a fantastic job of lovingly, patiently, kindly uh, taking care of them and, and building into them. So um, as you hear this message, realize that it comes from an imperfect father. I don't have all this figured out myself. Second, I uh, have to acknowledge that Father's Day comes with some sort of emotional reaction for everyone. For some, it hits us with anxiety. Perhaps we, we simply think of the man who wasn't there when we needed him. For others, maybe it comes with anger or fear. It's associated with this day because of a father who was abusive to you growing up. For some others, feelings of gratitude well up today as you, as you recall some of the best memories of a father who was there for you, who was there for you in your time of need. For others, uh, maybe you never knew your father. Maybe you, uh, others still have a, a loving father who's, who's close by, who is uh, perhaps about to die. Haven't had to learn to say goodbye quite yet. Regardless of our own personal stories, all of us are reminded by many at this time of every year just how important fathers are supposed to be in our lives. We're told that lives are shaped as a result of, of a man or men who are older or wiser than us. So today, wherever you are, whatever you think of, whatever you feel when this date rolls around, let's consider a few things that scripture has to say about a father. And I pray that this will be helpful to each of us regardless of what our experience is with our fathers personally. So would you pray with me before we read God's word? Father, we, we do want to acknowledge and just recognize this morning that you are a perfect Father, that you love us with perfect love, that you uh, discipline us with per perfect discipline, that you want to give us good gifts, that you want the best things for us. God, I pray that we would see you for who you are, uh, who you've revealed yourself to be in the pages of Scripture, who you reveal yourself to be through uh, your Spirit. Uh, God, help us to, to believe that about you over um, our emotions, over our experiences that we may have had with, with fathers, even if we've had good fathers. God, I pray that we would, we would see you as so much more and so much better than that. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read. This is a short psalm, just six verses, Psalm 128. And it reads, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So what do we see in just these six short verses? This, this is a very upbeat, positive psalm. There's a lot of good things in here. So it's filled with, with pleasant thoughts, good hopes. Let's name some of them. Just shout out some things you see in verses 2 through 6. What are some of the good things that the psalmist mentions? Say it again. Fruit of your labor. So seeing the results of hard work. Yeah, what else? Okay, so fearing the Lord, happy is the man who fears the Lord. What else? What else do we see? Children are like olive shoots. Okay, so children are a blessing. 
Any grandparents out there? Grandchildren, right? Grandchildren are mentioned? Yes. What else? Anything else? Prosperity, good things for the people that you care about. Peace. So lots and lots of good things are mentioned in this, in this psalm in just those few, few verses. So don't you want many of those things? Wouldn't you love to have, no matter what your experience has been in life, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to have those kinds of experiences? Wouldn't you love your life to be marked by those kinds of things? We all want that. And the word... Bless is used four times in these six short verses. We all want to be blessed. In the sense that the word bless is used, we could substitute the word happy. It's the same thing, happy, blessed. So we could substitute, we could, we could read this passage this way. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. And then moving on, behold, thus shall the man be happy who fears the Lord. The Lord make you happy from Zion. And what the psalmist is saying is that these are all things that make us happy. These are all good things. We want happiness, don't we? We all want to be happy. So who wouldn't be happy to see the good results of your hard work? Everyone, to some degree, but I think men especially struggle with that in terms of their identity in relationship to, to work. We want our work to be meaningful. We want to be able to look at what we've done and feel like we've had some some success, like, we've, like something has resulted from the hard work that we put in. If you're married, don't you want to have a loving spouse? To have children who are involved and at home around the dinner table. To see good things happen to those that you care about. To have a long life. Now, does, does that sound like um, a pipe dream? Does that sound like a, a cold front in the middle of June um, in Tempe, Arizona. Well, in some sense, it is. There, there's not a single one of us in this room that can claim all of these things all of the time. We can't claim good family, good health, good relationships with people all of the time. We all have strife. We all have struggle. Now, if, if, I know if you look at Facebook, uh, you may not believe that. You may think that, that your, your friend on Facebook has nothing but good things happening in their life. Uh, but that's, that's not the case. We all have a life less than what we want it to be. So just like Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, we want good things for our children. We want good things for us. We want, we want happiness. But we can't have it the way we want it, can we? We can't have all those things all the time. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is elusive. And it's not just elusive for me or for you. It's elusive for all of us. And why is that? Why is happiness elusive? Why, do we, why can we not hold on to it and keep it? Well, I think there's, there's several reasons for that, why we can't find it and hold on to it, why even the really good things that we want can't be found or maintained. But probably the biggest reason, not probably, the biggest reason is because of sin. On, on this Father's Day, if I compare myself to uh, some people I've known in my life, or especially if I compare myself to some people that I see in the media, then I would say that I'm a pretty good father, right? Especially if I, if I compare myself to what I see uh, on TV. So, but if I stop myself, if I force myself to think about the kind of father that I've been, then I become even more aware of my flaws. I'm inherently selfish. 
Now, it's, it's not like I'm pure evil. I, I don't, I've never taken my kids to the toy store and said, look at all these toys out here. Wouldn't you just love to have some of these toys? Which one would you like most? Well, you can have none of it, none of it. I, I've never done anything like that. I've never been that cruel to my kids, but I'm inherently selfish. There have been times that I lied to my kids, sometimes to protect myself or to make myself look better. Occasions that I've chosen to spend time doing something inconsequential and rather meaningless when I could be spending time with them instead. Times that I've missed an event that they're involved in when if I worked a little bit harder, I could have rearranged my schedule and made a way for me to be able to be there for them. So I am sinful. Rather than desiring to see the good results from my hard work, as Psalm 128 says, that a good father does, I've at times chosen instead to glorify myself, to pride myself in my own works. Rather than taking joy in a loving wife, I've at times taken her for granted, heaped unreasonable expectations upon her. Rather than enjoying the kids around the dinner table, like all of shoots around the dinner table, I uh, at times get frustrated with them because they're not doing things the way I want them to. They're arguing or they're fighting or they're just uh, being themselves, right? Which is great. <laughs> it's a good thing for them to be themselves. So I say that I want happiness. I say that I want all these good things. That's what I say. But all too often I don't follow through. I let myself down. I let my wife down. I let my kids down. And what's even more than that, I let God down. If I, if I can't even satisfy, satisfy myself and meet my own standards of what a good person or a good father is, then how can I possibly meet the standards of a loving, holy, righteous, blameless, perfect God? Do you see that this psalm really isn't true of us? These words only serve to damn us when they're said or believed in our own strength. Because how can we live them out or attain that standard? How can we truly believe these things to be true of us? That's because this psalm is like all of the psalms. They're really meant to be about and for Jesus. Only Jesus can rightly say and do the words here in Psalm 128. Only he can rightly live this out every moment. Only he can achieve that happiness. Only Jesus has provided a way through which we can join him in saying and believing these words. And that's what the author of Hebrews means when he says in, in Hebrews chapter 4, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus is our perfect mediator. He bridged the gap between our sinfulness and the holiness of God. And how did he do that? How did Jesus do that? Well, he met his own standards. He never lied. He never had a sinful thought about another woman. He never got angry in a sinful way. He was never selfish, self-centered, in a way that, that put others' needs uh, behind his own. So unlike us, he met his own standards, and he met the holy, perfect standards 
of his Father, of God. And that's, that's not cheating just because his standards and God's standards are the same thing. Because he lived a sinless life, he enabled us to live in such a way that we as believers in Christ truly can recite and mean this psalm and all of the others. And it's not because of our own rightness with God. It's not because of our own holiness, not because of our own perfection, not because there's anything special about us, but because Jesus' rightness and his goodness has been transferred to us who are believers. Jesus took my dirty filthiness and my ugly sinfulness, he took that upon himself on the cross. And in exchange, he gave me his holiness, he gave me his righteousness. And that's true of you if you call Jesus Lord and Savior as well. So this psalm envisions the day when we, the church, have the Holy Spirit. When we've been rescued from captivity. When our hearts are restored and turned to God. And we can live that out today through the power of God by the application of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I'm wondering, do you have that promise? Have you been rescued from the bondage of your sin? Is your heart restored? Do you have peace? True and lasting happiness won't be found outside of a relationship with Jesus. And that happiness isn't really elusive. It's right here waiting on all of us today. It's offered in a relationship with God, and, and many around this room would love to talk with you if you don't have that relationship. So all of us, we all want happiness that we described earlier, that Psalm 128 describes. We all want a good life with good family, plenty to eat, good relationships, a good time with, with everyone around us, but we, we can't find it. We can't hold on to it all of the time. So what should we, and there's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with wanting that kind of happiness. That's not a bad thing. So what should we want in addition to wanting happiness? What should we want in addition to happiness? We should want holiness. Holiness. And that's one of the main points that I want us to see today. Verse, verse 1, uh, again, this is Father's Day. Much of the psalm seems to be directed at, at fathers uh, and husbands. But the first verse is much more general than that. It speaks to all of us. Verse 1, Psalm 128, reads, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So, just for a few minutes, put your thinking cap on and, and stay with me on this. Uh, but fathers especially, do you, do you want to leave a legacy for your children? Do you want to give them good gifts? And then fathers and everyone else, do you want to know the secret to happiness? Do you want to be able to be happy? The secret to happiness is found in this verse, verse 1. The secret to happiness is to fear the Lord, and that results in walking in his ways. So when we, when we fear the Lord, when we walk in his ways, what are we seeking after? What are we pursuing when we fear the Lord, when we walk in his ways? We're, we're pursuing holiness. We're pursuing being righteous. We're pursuing being like God. And happiness and holiness aren't mutually exclusive. Happiness and holiness aren't set apart. They're not enemies of each other. 
they go together. Happiness and holiness go together. They're inseparable. They're like uh, peanut butter and chocolate, or they're like Romeo and Juliet, or they're like ice cream and ice cream. They're, they're meant to go together. They're meant to be enjoyed together, happiness and holiness. So listen to this truth. To truly be happy is to be holy. And to be holy is to be happy. And you can have momentary happiness without holiness, of course. You can be momentarily happy, but it won't last. Long-term, deep happiness, what the Bible calls to be blessed, flows out of holiness. And to the extent to, the extent to which you are holy, to the extent to which you fear the Lord, to the extent to which you walk in His ways, is to the extent to which you will be happy as well. Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, English pastor, put it this way, heaped up happinesses, in the plural, belong to that man who fears the Lord. He is happy, and he shall be happy in a thousand ways. So what do you, what do you think of that? Do you agree that happiness and holiness are linked together? Well, in just if we just look at the Psalms, if all we did was look at the Psalms, we would see that over and over and over again. Let me just give you a cross-section. We see that in chapter 1, in chapter 19, in chapter 32, chapter 34, chapter 40, chapter 106, chapter 112, chapter 119, and then, of course, in chapter 128, where we see holiness described in verse 1, and then we see happiness following closely behind in the following verses. Here's just one of those passages that I, that I mentioned. Psalm 34 reads, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord. There we see it again. O fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer, suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So does, does this mean, does this Psalm 34, does this mean that if you fear the Lord, you'll, you'll get every material good uh, that you could ever want, that you'll never have cancer, that your friends, your family will never suffer. Is that what that means? No, of course not. Remember that we're, we're promised in Scripture that we will suffer. We are promised in Scripture that we will suffer. We'll experience trials. We'll experience difficulties. And remember that Christ is the only one. Jesus is the only one who has ever truly feared the Lord completely, always, every single moment of his life. He walked in his ways. He feared the Lord. And yet, what happened to Jesus? He suffered greatly. Yet I would tell you that Jesus was the most blessed, Jesus was the happiest person to ever walk the earth. Now, why? Why can I say that? Why would I say that? So this is a hard concept because we so much want to equate happiness with positive circumstances in our life. We want to say that we're happy if good things are happening to us. That's what we equate happiness. That's what we think of when we think of happiness. But, but stay with me on this. Jesus was happiest because he didn't lack in being blessed and cared for by his Father. 
Do you agree with that? We are designed to worship. And Jesus got his fulfillment from the right place. He worshiped the ultimate thing. There's nothing higher or better than God. He drank from the deep pools of joy rather than just the mere puddles of momentary happiness. And because he worshiped the highest, because he worshiped the highest and the greatest, because he sought relationship with the Father over everything else, because he was holy, he was fulfilled to the utmost, and therefore he was happiest of all. So we see happiness and holiness linked elsewhere. We see it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Happiness and holiness linked together. Blessed or happy are the, and then it lists out qualities really of, of godliness, of holiness. And one more example from Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul speaks to the church at Corinth about the great financial generosity of uh, this, uh, the churches in Macedonia. So he, Paul is writing to the, churches, the church in Corinth about the churches in Macedonia being very generous financially. And specifically he says in verses 1 and 2, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, what's linked to their obedience? What's linked, these churches that are financially generous, what's linked to their obedience? What's linked to their holiness expressed by giving generously? Well, it's joy, joy, an abundance of joy, happiness and holiness linked together. And where did that joy come from? Where did their joy come from? Just as an aside, I think this is an important point. It's not that the gospel removed trouble here. We see uh, the gospel came, the grace of God. That's what, what the gospel is. The grace of God came in verse 1. And yet, there was still severe test of affliction and severe poverty. So difficult times even when the gospel was there. So it's not that the gospel removes difficult circumstances from our lives. It's not, we're not talking about the health and wealth gospel at all here. The gospel came, there was still affliction and poverty. But in that affliction and poverty, joy sprung up alongside their generosity. And where did that joy come from? Well, that joy came from the grace of God. The grace of God allowed that generosity. Happiness and holiness are linked together over and over and over. We see it in Scripture. Happiness and holiness are linked together. So if Scripture doesn't convince you of the deep connection between happiness and holiness, then, then maybe uh, an example or two would help with that. Perhaps you, you all know someone who has set their heart on something. They've set it up as the ultimate thing. This is the thing that they want uh, most of all. Perhaps you know somebody that just really wants to be married. So they set all of their energies, all of their hopes on being married. Or maybe you know somebody who wants to have a certain, go to a certain university, have a scholarship of some sort. And so all of their energies go towards getting that degree or getting that scholarship, uh, that, that uh, university. Or perhaps you, you know someone who just wants to have a child, or they just want to have another child. They think that 
that's the thing that's going to fulfill them. That's the thing that's going to make them finally complete, finally whole. If I can just have one more child, or if I can just have a child, I'll be happy. We could go on and on and on. Perhaps you know somebody like that, or perhaps you are that person, or have been that person. Well, what, what happens when that person finally gets what they want? Does it truly make them happy? Perhaps for a bit, right? Sometimes it does for, for a while, sometimes for a long while, perhaps even. But inevitably, that spouse or that degree program or that career or that child will let that person down. You're happily married for a time and then you realize that you've married a sinner. You uh, have this uh, great career and uh, then you realize that there's expectations with this job. And oh, by the way, your boss is a sinner as well. Or you have a child and then you realize that that child's not perfect. That child is also a sinner. And so am I. So then you're on to the next thing that you believe will give you happiness. You go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But have you ever known someone who pursued holiness? Have you ever known somebody that pursued following Christ, someone who loves God, someone who desires to spend time with him and spend time in his word. I hope that you've known somebody like that in your life. I hope that maybe that's you. I hope that you're that person. Well, what happens to that person in that pursuit of holiness? What happens to them? Well, that, that person experiences joy. That person is, is enjoyable to be around. That person experiences peace. That person is blessed and happy in their pursuit of holiness. Again, I hope you know somebody like that. I hope you've seen somebody like that who pursues holiness, who just wants to be more and more like Christ. So again, we need to see that we, we tend to pit, pit happiness and holiness against each other. We tend to say that these are at odds with each other but they're not meant to be. There's truly a deep connection between happiness and holiness, between obedience and joy. We don't want to be happy or be holy. We want to be happy, holy. We want to be holy, happy people. And that is what we will experience in heaven, is it not? We will be completely happy in heaven, content. All of our needs will be met. We'll be with God, no more pain, no more suffering, completely happy, joyful, and we will be holy, we'll be made perfect, we'll be made complete, no more sin for us, no more sinful desires. So we should seek to find true happiness in God, as I said, to, to drink out of the, the deep pools of holiness rather than just the, the mere puddles of happiness. We should seek to genuinely delight in the one who created us, in the one who loved us enough to die for us, loves us enough to leave his Holy Spirit for us. We should choose the right kind of happiness. And again, that's found in verse one. That's to everyone. Everyone is addressed in verse one, not just the fathers. Now, one, one quick word on this that um, probably ought to say, I'm sure that there are some here today who would say, I've tried that. It doesn't work for me. I've tried to be uh, 
holy, and I just end up feeling guilty. I end up failing. It doesn't work. Or you may say, I am holy. I do the right things, and I'm still not happy. So what's the deal with that? Well, I, I would tell you that uh, this happy, holy thing isn't a lie. It's in Scripture. Over and over and over again we see it. Being uh, holy does lead to happiness. And I, I would say to you that I, I can understand your experience because I've been there. I've tried to be holy myself and not been happy as a result of that. The key, I think, is not just to try to be holy, not just to try to do the right things. That leads to failure because you're doing that in your own strength. The key instead is to become holy. And to become holy, we need heart change. We need heart change. We need God to change our hearts. We need to be driven by our love for Christ. And as we are driven by our love for Christ, we'll have more and more of him and we'll have less and less of ourselves. So become more like Jesus, fueled by our love for him, and we'll find happiness and fulfillment. And we do that best when we do that within, when we seek after that within a community, within a community of believers. Our gospel communities, like Eric mentioned a little bit ago. So verse 1 is addressed to everyone. But the rest of the psalm is addressed, I think, to fathers. And why is that? Well, one of the reasons is that fathers have the joy and the responsibility to lead their home. And that is both a joy and a great responsibility that ought to have fathers in this room quaking in their boots. Just as Eve sinned first, but God held Adam responsible, fathers, we're responsible for what goes on in our homes. God will hold us responsible. And that's a scary thought, or at least it is to me. I hope it is to you if you're a father. So to be sure, Scripture often addresses parents in the plural, but there are several places where God specifically addresses the father. Here's just a couple of them. Ephesians 6, 4, it reads, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's a command to the fathers. Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So don't be mistaken, of course. Mothers are a gift from God. They're vital. But fathers, you're responsible to lead your family, to lead your family in the home. Just as Adam was, you'll be held accountable for your wife and for your children. And even more, your children ought to see in you something of God the Father. Uh, John Piper, a former pastor and author, says, Children ought to see in their human father a reflection, albeit imperfect, of the heavenly father in his strength and tenderness, in his wrath and mercy, in his exaltation and condescension, in his surpassing wisdom and patient guidance. The task of every human father is to be for his children an image of the father in heaven. So how? How do you do that? How do dads image God the Father well? Well, this psalm clearly tells us, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So let me spend just the last uh, 10 minutes or less on uh, uh, specifically applying this to fathers. You, you can apply this, this passage to, to any kind of situation if you're a believer, but let me, since it's Father's Day, let me just spend the last few minutes applying this specifically to fathers. So before I give some specific applications, please, please know that these words uh, will uh, 
beat you up. They will eat your lunch if you don't have the right perspective. It's hard to be a good father. It's a daunting task to be a good father. But as a good father, you want to give your children good gifts, right? We want to give our kids good things. You want them to be happy. And the only way that they're going to be happy is by teaching them to pursue holiness. And that comes from being holy yourself. So the only way that you can do anything on this list well and not uh, just feel beat up or like a piece of junk afterwards is uh, by being holy yourself, by having Christ as number one in your life. By being a good father, being a good father starts and ends with your relationship with Christ. So as you put God first, these other items will result. They will flow out of that. But they have to. They have to come from an overflow, an outflow of your relationship with God. As you're being filled up with God, you can fill up your kids through this. So here's some things to consider. And again, this is mostly for fathers, but you can apply this, I think. Anyone in this room can apply it. Uh, if you're a single parent, single mom, if you don't have any kids, if you just want to be discipling other people in the church, you can apply these things as well. So the first thing is to take the lead in teaching your kids. Fathers, take the lead in teaching your kids. Don't abdicate that responsibility. The church doesn't have the primary responsibility to teach and train your children. That's your job, your job as a father. Read the Bible with your kids. Pray with them. When they speak of problems that they're having, help them apply the wise teaching of Scripture to those problems. Fathers, you are supposed to be one of the one or two primary disciple makers in your kids' lives. If you're not one of the one or two primary disciple makers in your kids' lives, then I would lovingly tell you that you're quite possibly failing your children right now. You should be one of the primary disciple makers in your kids' lives. Second, make corporate worship a highlight of their lives. Don't neglect the gathering of the believers. Regularly attend churches. You're all here, so you know this. Regularly attend church services. As a family, actively participate in worship. Take notes. When you're going home or going to lunch, talk about what you learned. Talk about how the time of worship made a difference in your life. Help your children to love the church. Your kids will need the church both now and they will need it as they grow up, as they become adults. They will need the body of believers. Third, worship Jesus at home. We should lead fathers in making much of Jesus, not just for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week. So read the Bible with your kids. Pray with them. Worship together as a family. This is completely out of my comfort zone, but sing together as a family. Uh, I know that some of you probably have horror images in your mind now of, of me singing with my kids, but uh, consider that with your family. The, these first three that I gave are, are primarily for fathers who have kids that are still in the home, but if you don't have kids in the home, if they're outside the home now, do you pursue them with the love of Christ? Consider asking how you can pray for your kids, then do it. When they come to you for advice, instead of giving them advice just to solve their problem, give them advice that points them back to their church. Give them advice that points them back to Scripture so that they can be 
unified with a body of believers and with Scripture. And then finally, consider the life of Jesus and imitate his faith. Jesus' life was one of sacrifice, lovingly sacrificing his wants so that he could perfectly obey his own father. So how well do you do in that regard in sacrificing your wants to obey your heavenly father? A life of sacrifice by a loving father points to the love that God has for us. God's never too busy for us. He's willing to give us what we really need, even at great personal cost. His love for us knows no end. And th those are high standards, to be sure, of course. But are you seeking to imitate the faith and sacrificial, humble life of Christ? So any fathers feeling beat up here right now? It's a daunting task to be a father, to be a good father, to be a holy father. And again, as I said, you will not do these things well unless you are being filled up yourself in your own personal relationship with Christ. So if you're angry or frustrated right now because um, you're not reading the Bible with your kids or because you didn't do that when they were in the home and now they're out of the home, if you feel like my words are unfair or this is, this is not right, then I would encourage, or if maybe she's feeling guilty right now, I'd encourage you, don't leave this, don't just sit and stew about it. Don't just uh, leave this room angry or frustrated. Talk to somebody around you about that. That's what our community of believers is for. That's who we are supposed to be for each other. Talk to me about that. Talk to Tim Stokes, our director of family ministries. Talk to somebody around you. And again, remember what I said earlier, that you will not do these things well. We, we cannot do these things well unless it's coming out of an overflow of our own relationship with God, our own relationship with, with Christ. So uh, church family, you do this well, but continue to support the fathers and the mothers in our midst by encouraging them, by supporting them, by filling in the gap, by helping them to be better fathers and mothers. So as we close, to be, to be certain, good, loving, kind, God-honoring fathers are a gift from God. And I, I hope that you either have one or you had one. But let's, of course, remember that all earthly fathers are imperfect. Earthly fathers are like medicine. And medicine is good. Medicine is helpful. We all need medicine at times. But we can't live on medicine alone. We need food. Food is what sustains us. We starve without food. And our Heavenly Father is the food. He is the real deal. He is what we really need. He's the one that we've been looking for. The sadness that you may feel at never having had a good father, or the sadness you may feel at having lost your father, that sadness can be swallowed up and overcome with joy. Because God has offered his fatherhood to anyone who would ask for it, anyone who would accept his gift of adoption. And to you who don't have that, happiness, that happy holiness that, that I talked about earlier, who haven't made Christ their, their biggest desire, who haven't trusted Christ, God wants to adopt you into his family. He wants you to trust him. To you who have already confessed your sins, you've already turned away from, from them, you're seeking to follow Christ, but you struggle to see God as a good, loving father, I would, I would encourage you to trust Scripture over your experiences. Trust Scripture over, over your emotions, 
Over and over, Jesus pointed his disciples to the Heavenly Father. God is shown to be a good, loving Father in Scripture. And to the fathers that are here today, our fathering should be modeled after the way that Jesus related to his Father. In his life and in his death, he modeled for us how to relate to God the Father. Jesus' longest prayer in John chapter 17 begins, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Jesus lived and died to glorify his Father, who is in heaven. And no father here today should do any less than that. Our calling as fathers is to exhibit the glory of the fatherhood of God. God's fatherhood is a kind and loving gift to us. And so just as we honor our earthly fathers today, let's each strive for happy holiness, and let's celebrate even more that we're in God's family and that we can call God our perfect father. Let me pray. Father, we are privileged to be able to, to call you just that, to call you our Father. And God, we know that you are a perfect, loving, holy, blameless Father who wants to give us good gifts. God, you want us to be happy in the same way that Jesus was happy, to be fulfilled by you, to be completely aware of the love that you have for us and just living in that love. God, help us to seek, uh, to walk in your ways, to fear you, to love you more and more each day that goes by. God, we thank you for your scripture that, that shows us our path, that shows us that you have plans for us, that you have desires for us, that you want us to be, uh, to be holy. You want us to be uh, happy and holy. And God, I pray that we, we would seek to follow you in all the things that we do. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.